Thanks to Harry's for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Get your free trial set, including a razor handle, five blade cartridge, and shave gel. Just go to harrys.com slash fool. It's Monday, August 21st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. It's our special solar eclipse edition Chris, of Market Foolery. Where are you? I can't. I've been staring at the sun for the past hour. And then someone told me the eclipse wasn't till later. I don't know what to do. Hey, Harry's read-in. Yeah. I'd just like to say, I've now got a Harry's smooth face. You're like a believer now. Harry's smooth. Yeah, I am. I tell you, well, it was it was one of your reads that compelled me, and I thought, let me give it a shot. Give it a shot. I'll tell you what, I'm not going back. Nice. You know, I like it for a guy that doesn't shave every day. It's not like they're inundating me with a bunch of razors, and that's what I like about the program. That's also what they we like. Cater it to how often you shave, and then it just magically appears at your doorstep. As if from nowhere. It's a beautiful thing. It is. Uh, speaking of magic, uh, let's talk about the eclipse for a moment. And we'll start with a comment from Professor Tom Rooney at Wright State University, who hit me up on Twitter. Professor Rooney writes I'm calling it disappointing third quarter retail results will be attributed <laughs> to weather and the eclipse. And he's joking, but I think he's right. I, yeah. I, that, like someone. This is going to be a fabulous test in the next round of earnings season. We can we can start looking now. Who who is it going to be? Who is going to call out the eclipse in a way? And we'll get to the the legitimate business reasons in a moment. But someone, you know, he's right. Someone is going to call this out as like, well, you know. Plus, and it'll just be off the side. Plus, there was the eclipse, and it's like, wait, what? That's why. That's why this automotive. <laughs> this automotive maker didn't hit their numbers because of the solar eclipse. Like, I, there, I mean, I, I don't disagree. I mean, I think we're going to run into at least one. I mean, I feel like at some point here, we're going to have to take a pool and like start just lobbing names in there. What's the company you think that is going to actually call us out? Because I mean, I mean, on the one hand, yeah, like weather certainly can play into effect with some companies and and all of that stuff. By the same token, a lot of that is just sort of unpredictable. I mean, we know that December is winter, but we don't know if it's going to necessarily snow or be mild. I mean, this eclipse thing has kind of been in the books for a while. Like, it's not like a secret, and we didn't know it wasn't coming. Um, I, or know it was coming, I mean, but I feel like, um, yeah, I, I wonder if maybe there's a restaurant out there that, I mean, honestly, I wouldn't put it past Chipotle to lob this in their car next quarter. <laughs> It's like, yeah, you know, we felt like we were on, we were on the right track, and then, you know, there was this norovirus thing, and then top it off with the eclipse. It just was a really bad quarter. Well, and someone uh, pointed this out on Twitter. Some, I don't know who this manager is, and I don't know which McDonald's location this is, but someone tweeted out a photo of some McDonald's location in the United States where the manager had posted a sign alerting customers. By the way. On Monday the 21st, in this small window of time, we're not going to be selling food. We're not going to be taking any orders <laughs> because we want our employees to be able to go out and witness this once in a lifetime event uh, for themselves. And that just struck me as, well, you know what? That's 
Good for that manager. Good for those employees. And these articles that have been popping up over the weekend about the lost productivity in America. <laughs> come on. Yeah, that's it's- glass half empty stuff right there. I, I've been looking at this from a glass half full. And Chris, let me tell you, I've done some research here. I feel like there are some opportunities that are being just sort of left out there by certain companies for just like no-brainer stuff that's that's, that's going to be happening um, today. And again, in April 2024, when I think that's that's when the next one is, is expected. By the way, do you remember in '79 when that one came by? I I, I remember vaguely. Like, I think I was seven or eight vaguely. years old at the time, and I remember vaguely the occasion and sort of the. Wowness of it. I mean, I don't remember it as well because that was like, you know, forty years ago. But um, I listen. I mean, when we look at what an eclipse actually is, there are five phases to the eclipse. Now, I think these five phases represent some very interesting opportunities for a few companies in particular, and I'm going to explain why. Now. You hear sorts of of terminology bandied about with with this the path of totality, and you know that we're like a little bit north of that path of totality. It kind of runs sort of a little bit south of us and across the country. But phase one is when the moon makes first contact. That's when it starts. Okay, then it goes into phase two, where we see the diamond ring effect. We see Bailey's beads, named after Francis Bailey, who uh, explained the phenomenon. Then phase three, which is totality. That's the only time you actually get to see the sun's corona, the outer atmosphere. Then phase four, back to the diamond ring effect and Bailey's beads. Phase five, as it ends. Now, Chris, I mean, there's some words I mentioned right there that just, let's think about this. Phase two, the diamond ring effect. I mean, what's stopping Tiffany from getting out there and offering an eclipse ring? Lack of creativity on their part. All right, well, chalk that up. That's one. Okay. Phase three, totality. You see the corona. I mean, Chris, corona beer, duh. Why is the constellation out there with Eclipse beer? Maybe they are, and I missed it. I don't know. Bailey's beads, same thing. I mean, hey, Diageo. I was just going to say Diageo owns Bailey's. Bailey's Irish whiskey. I mean, there are all sorts of opportunities here that I feel are being left on the table. I'm a little bit disappointed, but hey, maybe in 2024, maybe we'll, they'll have their act together. We'll see some forward thinking there. Uh, Let's move from the eclipse to a story that uh, made some headlines over the weekend. And this is not a public market story yet, although pretty interesting. And that is that Jeff Immelt, the uh, longtime CEO of General Electric, uh, Jeff Immelt has apparently emerged as the front runner to become the CEO of Uber. Were you surprised reading that? Um, I was. You, you know, I'm. I was a little surprised. I wasn't surprised by the names that had emerged previously, uh, names where essentially it was here's a list of people who have reportedly passed on the job, <laughs> and the, and the, you know Meg Whitman being one of them. And I just thought for whatever challenges Meg Whitman faces at Hewlett Packard, that's she, she seems like a smart enough person to say I, I'd rather have I'd rather play these <laughs> cards than those cards, and I totally get why the board at Uber would want someone like Meg Whitman. Yeah, ML, it surprised me sort of, but I, I don't know. I, it, it, it's one of those things where I just sort of look at it and go, you know what? Maybe uh, an old school. CEO like Immelt is just what Uber needs. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I guess that was when I first saw that. I thought, man, that is a bit surprising. And I guess it's just, you know, I think about his track record at GE, and it's not like he ran the business in the ground or anything, but I don't think shareholders really won during his tenure. Um, 
it, you know, Uber strikes me as a company that is is a it's a culture in crisis right now. I mean, obviously, they're slinging a pretty compelling product. It's really changed the way a lot of us think about transportation, and I think particularly as you get older. I mean, I kind of like the fact that knowing at some point. Um, when I decide to, to hang it up, or, or when the state decides to take my license away from me due to old age, that there will be other options for me, like Uber and Lyft and whatnot. But I mean, to me, it's a culture clearly in crisis right now. So I feel like if you're going to bring someone in there to fix it, you want to bring someone in there who's really known for being able to do that. I, I, I don't know that ML is really known for that. I mean, if you look at what Ford did, and like with Alan Mulally, I mean, I feel like he was a great choice for a company that was really sort of in a culture crisis at that point as well. Not only to you know the business itself. I mean, he he really did a lot of sort of shoring up of the business, but I feel like he he instilled a different culture in there that really helped uh, take them forward in the tough times. I mean, to me, ML maybe he does well. I mean, maybe uh, maybe he doesn't. I mean, it sounds like part of this is coming from. A sense of exhaustion on the board. I mean, they still haven't really been able to come up with an answer, and it sounds like they're kind of starting to get a little bit tired about kicking this around. I feel like it's a great opportunity to get someone in there with a different perspective. I mean, well, that's female. What you, that's what that's what you would get with Melt. You would absolutely get someone with a different perspective, and I agree with you about the culture part. Although, from an operational standpoint, Melt did. Essentially, impose his will upon General Electric. The changes that, and as you said, shareholders weren't rewarded handsomely for Jeff Emmelt's tenure. But in terms of a CEO being in charge and enacting their vision for the company, and with a company the size of General Electric, as enormous as it was, you saw it with some of the ways that Emmelt made General Electric smaller. The way he sort of shed different. Departments and said we're no longer going to be in that business. So he definitely has that. But I think you you've keyed on the in on the right question. Does he have the desire to really go after the culture, and does he have the the toolkit? Because that's that's what you need. And again, to, again to go back to Meg Whitman, you know you you hear the names like Meg Whitman, Marissa Meyer. Um, I think Sheryl Sandberg might her name might have been bandied about there as well. Um, but if the board is is tired, I, <laughs> I I don't sympathize with them. I understand why they're tired, but I think they need to figure out who is the best candidate and then overwhelm that person with an offer that they just can't turn down. Yeah, I think that there are plenty of people out there who have been considered who would probably just just as well take a pass because it is obviously going to be a very a very difficult job and a long and. and Tedious job and sort of. I mean, it's a big company. You're going to have to do a lot, and I think with with ML, he's got a lot of experience. And I do. I mean, let's separate GE the stock from the company for a second. I mean, he did a lot of good stuff there, and I really appreciate the fact that he was able to sort of streamline things, sell off those businesses that didn't really make sense. And I think honestly, that GE show GE shareholders of the course the next ten years are going to benefit from a lot of a lot of the moves that he made. So listen, I don't think he's the worst choice by any means. I guess I could probably. Uh, dig around and find some better choices. I mean, I may hang myself if they pick Marissa Meyer because I think she's proven to just—I—I I, I just there would be no excuse for that. Like, I don't. She doesn't have a track record of doing anything, right? At least ML has a track record for—I uh, mean, running a, a, obviously a very big company and I think making some big moves. I mean, I, Marissa Meyer to me 
she was a big fat disappointment at Yahoo. Although it's in a, in a way, what she did at Yahoo, at least in the short term, at least in the like that first twelve months, um, that was also a culture in crisis. Certainly yeah. in terms of employee morale. So so in a weird way, she's the the mirror opposite of Immelt. Operationally, uh, you look at the number of acquisitions that Yahoo made when Marissa Meyer was CEO, and it dwarfs. The number of acquisitions that were made by the the previous four CEOs combined. Yeah, and we were trying to sort of find the rationale for them as well. Well, and and essentially trying to spend their way to growth, and it right. didn't work out because they at at no point were they significantly growing that top line. Whereas, it's almost like I, I don't know. Is there a way that ML could become CEO and bring in? Meyer as essentially like the chief culture officer or something like that, and and give her a portfolio that just says, "Look, take this part of the business and make it make it a whole lot better." Maybe, but I don't know that Meyer really earned the respect for that kind of position. I mean, I think she's probably more polarizing than unifying. And maybe I'm wrong, but I mean, I think you you key in on a very good point there in that if ML or or whoever gets this job. Really, the key for any great leader: surround yourself with really good people, and and if you can do that, then your chances are are far better that that you can pull this off. And so, I think that whoever gets the job, they're really just going to make sure they need to make sure they surround themselves with good, smart, diverse uh, thinkers. And I think you have a lot of chance for success there. Uh, to, uh, to go back to your very first question, which was, what was my reaction when I saw that ML had emerged as the as the Front runner for this job, my gut reaction was, "Why would he want to do that?" <laughs> like, I, like, really, I just like that was in the moment. I just thought, as we've indicated, this is a really big job, and for someone, it's a great opportunity. But in the case of ML, I just thought, "Boy, that sounds ex- being the CEO of Uber sounds exhausting." And ML, I don't know him at all, but I just thought, why, why wouldn't you want to just sort of kick back and enjoy yourself a little bit? I feel like at that age, I mean, yeah, I, I, I mean, hey, I'm all for a good challenge. That's why I play golf. I mean, it just <laughs> the challenge never ceases. So, I mean, when I'm that age and I've got that kind of stew lying back around there, I mean, I'm just going to go out there and play golf every day, or at least as much as I can, until my wife tells me to come home. Let's move on to Starbucks, which made the cover of Barron's magazine this weekend. And usually for me, that is. That is a big red flag, <laughs> and I'm and I'm thinking of of famous Barron's uh, uh, covers like Facebook is worth fifteen dollars a share yeah. and and uh, boy that was a good call Amazon dot bomb and you know all that sort of thing. In this case, it was um, I wanted to get your take on it because one of the big uh, thrusts of this article it was essentially making the case for Starbucks. I felt like the article gave Starbucks a little bit more credit than they probably deserve in terms of the technology part of the business and the mobile ordering and all that sort of thing. Um, not too much credit. We've talked before about how they've done a great job with that, but we've also talked more recently about how they've got some trouble with throughput. But I was intrigued by the part of the article that really made the case for buying shares of Starbucks because of valuation. And making the point that if you look at the valuation right now, it's really cheap. So I guess my first question is, do you agree with that? Um, I mean, I wouldn't call it really cheap. I think valuation is sort of an interesting, interesting thing. It's subjective to a degree. I mean, there are numbers obviously you're plugging in there, but those numbers are left open to interpretation, and and that's quite uh, subjective when it when it comes to analysis of any of these companies. I mean, I think for me. Um, I, I, 
you look at Starbucks. I mean, to me, Starbucks is like one of those businesses that you want to own indefinitely. And there are a million qualities it seems that makes that make this a good a good business. I mean, it's a very reliable business, tremendous brand power. Uh, they have a modicum of pricing power, selling a product that's generally seen as you know not bad for you, um, and yet addictive. I mean, hey, that's a win-win, right? So not only it's, is it not bad for you, <laughs> there are articles. <laughs> it's healthy. Yeah, I mean, hey, you're, you're just it's my kind of data right there. Um, and, and I think honestly, with Starbucks, I mean, I, I do. I think the concerns of growth are fair. I don't think we're going to see Starbucks opening a whole heck of a lot of stores here domestically in the coming years. Now, with that said, it's a big world, and obviously, China represents a very big opportunity for Starbucks. They uh, were talking on their analyst call here back earlier in the year. China has around 2,600 stores. Management has the target of doubling that number over the course of the next five years. Uh, so, I mean, they're going to continue to grow the store base at a modest rate. Growth is slowing, yes. I mean, revenue uh, has grown uh, about eleven and a half percent annually over the last five years. Now, with that said, they're a very good company at extracting earnings from that. Earnings have grown about seventeen percent over the last five years uh, annualized. So, uh, you know, is is it twenty six times earnings today? Is this a business that's expensive? No, I wouldn't say so. I mean, is it cheap? Probably not cheap, but it's it's an attractive valuation, I think, to buy a really good business. And I mean, to put it in perspective, I mean, um, the market's paying the same amount for uh, McCormick, which is another one that, that we love here. Uh, and, and yet, McCormick is a smaller business with an arguably much smaller market opportunity that is in the middle of getting ready to try to digest a very big acquisition that's going to load a lot of debt on their balance sheet and ding their credit rating a little bit. So, to me, you know, McCormick seems kind of a bit optimistic at today's price. Conversely, I think Starbucks actually looks like a decent buy today, uh, particularly for a business that you can buy and then plan on holding for years and years to come. I mean, the dividend's going to continue to grow, management's going to be smart about buying back shares over time, and all of that will compound and help uh, to grow the investment over time. So, I, to me, this is one of the best businesses on the face of the planet, and anytime you can catch it uh, below 30 times earnings, I think it's worth a look, at least. What about Chipotle, which is hitting a 52-week low as we speak? Yeah, I mean, I think Chipotle is a great example of uh, investors should never hesitate to change their minds when the facts change. And I think, you know, this comes from someone who's been as big a Chipotle bull as anyone. And from an investment perspective, uh, things have definitely changed. I mean, at the beginning of the year, uh, we were getting this question a lot: What do we see 2017 holding for Chipotle? I said, by the end of the year, this is a $500 stock. If Caveat was if they keep themselves out of trouble, um, and sure as shooting. I mean, How'd I think it was last quarter. I think that thing peaked out at five hundred dollars after after the the earnings report uh, in the beginning of the year. And so, I mean, it, it everything was going well, and of course, they've not been able to stay out of trouble. There was the norovirus problem, which you know, rightly or wrongly, I mean, it probably was just linked to one employee and not something that was a, a, a food supply chain issue or anything like that. But obviously, the stock now is is getting hammered. Um, and I think that part of it is due to the fact that this was not a business that was fully prepared to deal with another crisis. I think in food, you've got to be prepared to deal with these. I mean, I think they just hired a chief communications officer finally. So I mean, the, from Yum Brands. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, just, forget, I'm forgetting her name, but I, I remember reading the article 
and uh, being very impressed by uh, her work history, her resume. And if you're the chief communications officer at Yum Brands, then you know how to deal with food crises. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no question, no question at all. And I mean, having a, a new chief restaurant officer, which let's just say that's in lieu of a COO, perhaps, um, but a chief restaurant officer with a lot of experience in the business. I think he headed up a bunch of Arby's uh, back in the day. And um, so I think those are all good moves that they need to make. I think that. Uh, Chipotle is in a position where they can still grow their store base. I think that investors can still see a good investment from this company over time. I do not think it will ever garner the same premium multiple that it did before. It's kind of like a quasi Whole Foods effect. They really started something cool, but a lot of people jumped in there and started copying it. And there are a lot of great competitors out there now with all sorts of different options. And I mean, just sort of a boots on the ground thing, like right by where we live, there used to be the Chipotle, where Chipotle is. There's now also a Five Guys, a Chick fil A, and a Cava all right there in that same area. I mean, you can, every time you drive by the Chipotle, you can see clearly traffic is just not the same as it was because there are more substitutes out there selling some pretty good stuff. Um, and I think Cava is a great, great example of a company that sort of mimicked that model and really produced some great food. Um, so I think Chipotle will recover. I think this is a business that over over time will succeed. If you own shares, I'd hang on to them. If you don't own shares, yeah, maybe it's worth buying a few today. You've got it. You've got to understand it's going to be a five year hold here at least. I mean, this is they've got a lot of things to get in order, and I think the market is looking at this stock today and thinking, hey, next time they they announce earnings next quarter. They're probably going to pull back on that guidance that they that they let us know this past earnings season because I, I I think they are not quite out of the woods yet. Before we dip into the full mailbag, I want to say thanks to Harry's for supporting today's episode of Market Foolery. I've said it before I'm I've been a customer of Harry's for years, long before they started sponsoring our podcast, and uh, I love them. And Harry's is so confident that you're going to love it too. They're giving you their trial set for free. All you do is cover the three dollars shipping. So just be like Jason Moser and stop messing around with whatever you're shaving with right now because you've got one face. You want to treat it right. That's right. So get started shaving with a free trial set that includes a razor handle, five blade cartridge, and shave gel. That's a $13 value for free. Just cover the shipping. Go to harrys.com slash fool. That's harrys.com slash fool. Marketfoolery at fool.com is our email address. And this email is a is a wonderful reminder that we are in the second half of August, and we're starting to um, just pull back a little bit from the news of the week. And uh, this is my way of, of easing listeners into the fact that <laughs> it's going to be a short week on Market Foolery because I'm heading out to California. I'm going to be speaking at a podcast conference. So yeah, uh, I saw that's going to be that's going to be really cool. Now, are we going to be able to see that or hear it? Um, you know what? I think when I get back, I'm gonna I'm gonna share some thoughts from it. I don't know if they post video. It's called Podcast Movement. I don't know if they're posting video, but I'll I'll ask when I get there. Please do. Uh, from Brian Harris, I've been a listener for the past several years. I am a beer drinker at heart, but have recently gotten into whiskey, and I'm looking for a few recommendations. Crown Royal is where I am starting this journey. Please let me know what other brands you would recommend. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Brian, and thank you for asking a question. Brian knew we would answer this question. <laughs> yeah! Brian, I'm guessing we're not the only financial source of news for Brian, but he knew that for his whiskey questions, he's not going to Bloomberg. Hey, whiskey, beer, hey, it's only one answer. Um, Market fooler. Uh, exactly. When you have, uh, so I, I would uh, right out of the gate, I would go with Woodford Reserve, which is okay. a, a bourbon, 
and uh, a very smooth bourbon. And for people who are, and Brian's already started drinking whiskey, but for people who have never tried whiskey, or you know, I, I think it's an incredibly smooth way to start because. Kind of like in investing, when we talk about the sleep factor and and how much risk are you willing to take on, whiskey is exactly the same way. It's like, what kind of taste are you looking for? Are you looking for something with a lot of bite? Are you looking for something lighter, a little smoother? I think Woodford Reserve is just a fantastic. Um, it is the Warren Buffett. He looks for a great business at a good price. That's for me, that's Woodford Reserve. It is a great whiskey at a good price. Speaking of whiskey, I mean, I thought you were going in a totally different direction with that sleep factor thing. Oh, I, mean, okay. I guess I just was thinking, yep, it's, it's going to put you to sleep. No. Well, uh, if, you, if you overindulge, <laughs> yeah. Uh, gee, well, okay, so I am not the whiskey aficionado that you are. I do enjoy it, and um, and I, I too am a beer guy first and foremost. So for me. Like I know, I go to Old Reliable anytime I buy a bottle of stuff, and Maker's Mark Forty Six is one that I always just—it's you know what you're getting, and it's always good. Um, there was one that I think it was when we were at an event in San Francisco, and we had the the event, this sort of the after party. You had gotten a bottle of something that was pretty local out there. And yes, the name escapes me. Um, one of our guests had written a book about the the science of alcohol. Um, and um, he is one of the editors of Wired magazine, and there was a uh, liquor shop right across the street from the hotel, and I was charged with buying a couple of bottles of something different, and I forget the name of it, but it was it was local to San Francisco. It yeah. was it was right across the bay. And that leads me to my other point: is I feel like just like with beer, anytime you can find something local, I think you have to try it because. Probably more often than not, it's you're going to try it once and you'll probably move on. But every once in a while, you'll find that little gem, and that's really what is so fun about being a beer drinker today. Is there are just so many great options out there, and really, I think that whiskey is kind of following that same suit. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.